0: You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. If you would, take your Bibles and flip over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Let me just read to read a couple verses. Really, we're going to take some time this morning and and just introduce the book. Um, We're going to try to generate, I hope, some incitement and some perspective as we embark on on this uh, journey through the the gospel of John. So uh, let's let's just read a little bit of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. the series uh, in the gospel of John, the gospel of life and light. Kind of see where, where I got that. Uh, I I did, I Googled it when I was thinking of the the title and I think there's a a book or a commentary that has uh, a name similar. I was thinking about getting that commentary, but I I didn't. Um, But, you know, we just, we just finished what some people would call a, a marathon uh, in the book of Romans. And we just kind of made some, some jokes about how long we were going to be in the book of Romans. And, and really, just to be honest and upfront, we're going to embark on another one here. Uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John is remarkably different than the book of Romans. It is a, a gospel, not, an, not a letter, not an epistle. It's one of the, the four gospels, it's the unique one. You see, John really stands on its own in, in one respect. The other three gospels are known in what is called the synoptic gospels. There's a great similarity between those three letters, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. They look at the life of Christ from a, a similar perspective. There are times in which the, the language they use almost sounds exactly the same that has led some people to believe that uh, they used a, a different source, which we call Q, uh, to to get all their stuff from. Um, this is called the the synoptic problem. Uh, where did where did these guys? How did it get so similar? And some to believe that there was a, another letter, a lost letter, a lost book that we call uh, Q. And um, I don't I don't know if we should put much stock in that, but. There are times in which the language that those three books use are are virtually the same. Of course, there's differences between those letters as well. But then when one starts reading the Gospel of John, right at the onset in the Gospel, we know, we notice that, that something is far different from those other Gospels that we read. John doesn't have a, a lot of things that the other Gospels do. For instance, in the Gospel of John, there's no birth narrative. There's no uh, mention of his baptism, although John clearly believes that his readers do know that Jesus was baptized. There's no institution of the Lord's Supper. There's no ascension of Jesus. There's no parables in the Gospel of John, which is strange, right? So what makes the Gospel of John so special? Well, for instance, in the Gospel of John, there's a lot of detail that is not in the other Gospels. For instance, in the early ministry of Jesus in the the South, is something that is in John and and highlighted in John. It's not in the other Gospels. In John, we get the the turning of water into wine in Cana. We read of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, the woman of Samaria raising Lazarus from the dead. Those details are in the the Gospel of John. Really, John contains some, some of the most widely known and favored passages in all of the Word of God. And we would be here all day if we just started naming them. Let's just highlight a few of them. Of course, we start with John 3.16. I mean, we could have said John 1, one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 3.16. I don't even have to tell you what it says, but I will. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 10.11, Jesus there is the the good shepherd. In 11.25, he tells us that he is the, the resurrection and the life. In chapter 15, in verse 1, he is the true vine. In chapter 14, we read this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and you know the place where I am going. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Of course, That is just a a quick survey of just a a few of the great texts in the Gospel of John. We didn't mention anything from John 17, but that whole chapter is worth mentioning. And if we mention John 17 in the the high priestly prayer, we got to mention John 18 and 19 and 20, where you get the, the purpose statement of the entire book, which we'll mention in just a moment. There are literally so many things And this is why the Gospel of John has been such a a great blessing to so many people. For instance, when we're witnessing to somebody or discipling a, a new believer, often we suggest that they start reading the Bible and the Gospel of John. Why is that? It goes back to John's purpose in writing the book so that people might believe. All of the gospels have their place. All of the gospels are of tremendous value. Of this, there is no doubt God is extremely wise in putting the scriptures together the way he did. But having said that, I I love Luther's quote concerning uh, the gospel of John. He says this, This is the unique, tender, and genuine chief gospel. Should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures and a single copy of the epistle to the Romans and the gospel of John escape him, Christianity would be saved. Luther loved the gospel of John. We know he loved Romans and he loved the gospel of John. He preached from that gospel for years in Wittenberg Wittenberg. The impact of the Gospel of John is, is not in any question, but this is why many scholars have attacked it. They've tried to discredit the book, and you know one would have thought that a book with such great impact on the lives of so many people would have been highly defended in so many ways. But the fact is, that has only been true in relatively recent years. The fact that John is... Historically accurate and reliable is something that scholars have really made the case for only in recent history. The fact is, it wasn't all that long ago that that many people believed that this gospel wasn't that reliable. All but the most conservative scholars believe that the gospel must have written about 150 or 200 years after Jesus' death. And being that far removed from Jesus, people said, that this book was then just akin to theological fiction. On one hand, many people might look at this and say, well, conservatives never thought this. They've always attributed the book to John. They thought it was reliable. They thought it was valuable. And while this is true, where it comes into play, I think, is in the the dating of the book. For instance, those in the, the more conservative camp Those scholars, they wanted to agree with the modern scholarship at the time, but they still wanted to attribute the book to John. So they dated it as late as possible. For instance, if you look at your study Bible, the introduction to John, where you see the date of writing, you'll see that most Bibles still use a a pretty old date. Around 95 or 100 A.D., The other gospels in the New Testament books were dated in the the mid-50s and the 60s, generally. I mean, that's a long time. That's a long difference. Just dating the book that far removed from Jesus casts doubt says to its reliability for some. Personally, I don't think that the later date casts doubt on the reliability of the book because of how we know scripture came about, right? Peter said, scripture comes about because of men who are carried along and moved by the Holy Spirit Paul says that the scriptures came into existence by the very breath of God, theos neustos, the very breath of God. But having said this, I think that it's a mistake to date the book that late. To date any book, uh, Revelation would be the other book that's often dated late. But I think it's a mistake to date either of those books uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Let me give you just a couple reasons why I think uh, this book should be dated earlier. Uh, first, uh, for, for a long time, the, the earliest copies of John's gospel that we had were from around uh, 325 to 340 AD. Now, just to kind of so we're all on the same page, you know that we don't have the original writings of any book. So what we deal with are manuscript copies or manuscript evidence. We take all these fractions or copies that we have, we, we date those, we put them all together, and we use those to decipher what John wrote. And the manuscript evidence for the Bible is more so than any other book of its time. There's, little, there's no doubt into what we have here is a very accurate recording of what John wrote. Let's just do a little comparison. The earliest manuscripts of of Homer's writings, which we don't have the originals either, were from about 2,000 years after his death. So having this kind of manuscript evidence from the Gospel of John is good, but it, it still led most scholars to suggest that it must have been written later. In fact, most scholars said because of this, that those are the earliest copies that we had, most scholars said that it couldn't have been written by somebody who knew Jesus. It couldn't have been written by somebody even that that somebody knew to know Jesus because of the date of those earliest manuscripts. But more recent discoveries changed this. There was a a scrap of papyrus that was found in the wrapping of a a mummy um, in Egypt And it contained a few verses from John 18, and it dated back to the first 25 years of the second century. So if you you think about this, that the gospel had to have been written, it had to be copied, passed on, and made its way to Egypt, used, and then discarded in the year 125 AD. This would suggest that the gospel was written far earlier than most scholars thought. Another item that dates the book earlier is the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. That process they found, the process of unrolling them, assembling them, translating them, and publishing the Dead Sea Scrolls has found to have taken some time, but in that process, what we're learning has been astronomical. For instance, We talked about the differences in the Gospel of John compared to the other Gospels. Another instance is that John contrasts light and dark, light and life, and so on. And those kind of contrasts are are missing in the other Gospels. And the thought was, is that the Synoptic Gospels then were written from a a Jewish setting. They were written in in Palestine. They were written from that setting. Well, John's Gospel was written in a whole different setting. It wasn't written in in Palestine. It was written in a, a Greek setting probably even influenced by Gnostic writers. Because of the the language that was used, John's gospel was colored by this Greek thought, and and really uh, it was a grid that Jesus' words passed through. Therefore, we couldn't trust it. But the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in Qumran, which is not far from Jerusalem, was the very place that John placed this, the earliest events of John's ministry, And without getting into a a lot of detail, I'll just appeal to to John A.T. Robinson here. And he says this concerning the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the date of John's gospel. He says, I detect a growing readiness to recognize that this is not to be sought at the end of the first century or the beginning of the second In Ephesus or Alexandria, among the Gnostics or the Greeks. Rather, there is no compelling need to let our gaze wander very far in space or time beyond the fairly limited area of southern Palestine in the fairly limited interval between the crucifixion of Christ and the fall of Jerusalem. In other words, he says that this gospel was written in Palestine before the destruction of Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting, though, that, that people would take the phrases that John uses like that and say, well, those, those must be influ- Jesus must have been influenced there, or John must have been influenced by Greek or, or Gnostic thought, so it's, it was, must have been written outside of Palestine, and therefore it must have been written far later. But the more we learn, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the man- other manuscript evidence, we find that what John's gospel actually says matches up with both the period and location in which Jesus ministered. And therefore, the probability is it's highly accurate. As Robinson points out here, there's no reason to date the book later. There's no reason to date it after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I want you just to think about this for a moment You know, we don't give much thought to to dates and all of that. We skip past that part often. But it is pretty important that we believe in the reliability of these words. Sometimes when we view, we have the view that John wrote these words like in in 95 or some 25 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, he would have been an old man then, and this was kind of his last ditch, ditch effort to get the story out. And while I don't think that really matters in one sense, if the date is that late, I also believe that it does matter when it comes to John's purpose in writing. So what was his purpose in writing the gospel? I, I love the, the first verses of 1 John. I think I, I, think I like it because it, it really takes, takes you back to the gospel. It's similar to the gospel. Just listen to it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. So right at the onset here, John is saying that he is writing about Jesus who has been seen, he's been touched, He's been heard, right? The historical reality of Jesus is is certain and any historical investigation bears this out. And this is the Jesus that John is proclaiming to them so that they might believe and their joy be complete. This is similar to what we read in the gospel, but not at the start of the gospel, at the end of it in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. There we read, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, think about, why did John write the book? Don't you find it interesting that in addressing the purpose for writing, he appeals to the historical accuracy of what was written. I also find it interesting that archaeological evidence and findings are bearing this out. We really have no reason to doubt what he said, that John is writing these things. These things are are facts about Jesus for the purpose of the reader recognizing that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, exactly who he says he is, and that is the Son of God. And he's writing these things so that we might believe. How many times have you heard somebody say, and when I say somebody, I mean Christians, they say something like, well, you know, it just can't be proven. You just got to take Jesus on on faith. It, It just needs to be taken by Faith, as if faith and evidence were opposed to one another. Perhaps you've fell into that trap. You you think that. But it's not true. John here proves that. He writes all of these things about Jesus, these facts, what Jesus did so that people might believe. If faith and evidence were opposed to one another, he wouldn't have wrote the book. saying once you look at the evidence of Jesus' life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, when you see all of this, when you see what he has done for you, then hopefully you see this and you believe that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, and believing in him, you might have life in his name. I read the story of a, a man that was not a Christian. He was very critical of the Christian faith. There was a pastor who was sharing with him, and he asked him if have you ever looked into the evidence for Christianity? And the man asked, well, how do I look for the evidence of Christianity? How do I look in to see if it's, it's reliable or not? It seems as though if you're going to believe in a, a religion like Christianity, you just got to take it on, on faith. And the pastor told the man to go and start reading John's gospel. And he said, you know, before you start reading John's gospel, he said, just say a little prayer, something like this. God, don't. I don't know if you exist. I don't know if you exist or not. But I, I don't know if you're going to listen to me. But I, I want to know the truth. If the Book of John is is really true, then speak to me. Prove it to me. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then I'll serve him forever. The pastor said to the guy, "Pray, pray something like that." And the man left and said, "Okay." week or so later, he, he ran into the pastor again, and the pastor asked, you know, have you read any of the book of, of John? And the guy looked at him and said, you know, I just, got, I just got things going on in my life. That is just, that's just not a high priority for me right now. I, I think we would do well to remember that the purpose of John in writing the gospel before we embark on, on this journey through it. You know, it's it's going to take us a while to get through this gospel, but the question before us is will we take time to look into the evidence? Or are there other things that are just going to be more important? Let me ask you this. Based on John's purpose in writing, what would be the proper response be to every message given? Right. If John gets to the end of his book and he said, okay, here's my purpose in writing, that you might believe, then what would our response be? The answer is believe. For those who are not yet Christians to come to faith, for, things, for them to, to click and say, yes, I believe Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he died for my sins, therefore I put my faith in him alone for my salvation. For the believer, the proper response is to believe, in that it encourages us and strengthens us in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. It it bolsters our faith so that we proclaim Jesus in whatever place we find ourselves. Just think a little bit more about the the purpose of John's gospel. The reason that he gave for writing the gospel so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ. I want to bring this up just again here because so many times we... Do not approach the gospel of John or the other ones that we might come to believe in in who Jesus says he is. We, We don't approach the gospels for the purpose in which they were given to us. Often, For instance, we read a portion of Scripture and we put ourselves at the center of it. We ask, what does this text have to do with me? And we come up with some moralistic lesson that centers that portion of Scripture around us. Which is in direct contrast to what John says the purpose of the letter is. The purpose of the the gospel is so that you may believe who Christ said he was. I think we need to grasp something here. And that the purpose of this isn't so that we will live a moral life by applying these stories and commands to our life. This would reduce the Bible to another self-help book. And it isn't. But that's that's often how we treat the Bible. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. Self-help books get... The cart before the horse, in some sense. They say, see, this is what you need to change, and then when you change this thing or these things, then you're going to reap these benefits. If only you can keep up the change, then you're going to get to where you want to be. The gospel says that no matter how hard you try on your own to change things, to reap the benefits, or to see the result that you want to see, you will fall short. This is why the life of Christ is so important because he excelled, he did that, he lived the perfect life and he reaped the benefits. And those benefits, they can be ours, but not because we have earned them, not because we have applied those moralistic things to our life, but because Christ earned them on our behalf. Let me say it this way. True, lasting life change doesn't come from a sermon with three points that says, do these things and you will reap the benefits. That's moralism. That's self-help drivel that doesn't work. True life change comes from belief in who Christ is and what he has done. And specifically, what he has done for us. In my notes, I put those words, for us, in all capitals. Or, to put it in the language of John, in writing the purpose of the book, so that you may believe. Believe what? That Christ is who he says he is. That he excelled where you fell short. That he is the Christ. That he's the Messiah. The one promised from the beginning to deal with the problem that really plagues humanity. The problem that is systemic. It's a popular word these days. Every aspect of our being is is tainted and touched by sin, and he came to deal with that problem. That's what Christ came to do. And he, John, wrote this letter, that you may believe that. And in believing that, you might have life in his name. That you might be freed from the power, the penalty, and ultimately the presence of sin. True life change starts with believing. And I know some of us are sitting there thinking, I already believe, now what? I would point you to Mark 9. In that chapter, there is a father of a, a boy that has an evil spirit. And, and Jesus tells the father that anything is possible for those who believe. And the father's response is classic. He says, Lord, I I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, one might come back and say, well, either you believe or you don't. And in a sense, that's true. I mean, he says, I believe. But it's also true that our belief needs to be bolstered. It needs to be shored up in certain areas. There's places in all of our lives where our foundation is weak. Where we're trusting in ourself and not on the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we're putting our, our reliance and our hope in the wrong thing. The fact is, The more we're exposed to the word of God as believers, the more the spirit is at work conforming us to the image of Christ. And he does this through exposing our unbelief. Areas in which our belief needs to be shored up. Areas where we are weak. Areas where we fall short. And where we need to step back and say, I trust and I hope in the gospel. I think this man, this this father could have said this a little bit differently. He could have said it differently to Jesus. He could have said, Lord, I believe, but I'm weak. I believe I'm weak. It's difficult. Life is hard. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need you to bolster my faith. I I need you because I'm so weak and I'm so frail, even in my belief. I can't live this life on my own. I can't get a handle on this area. I can't get a handle on this temptation. I can't get a handle on the sin. I need you. I need the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel even when we're done with the book of Romans, even when we've s- s- just studied that, the gospel in and out for, for years, literally, when we started with it, and then last week we, we finished with the gospel, you don't graduate from it. The gospel of John is all about the gospel, that people might come to faith and that believers might continue to believe. So my prayer as we embark on the gospel of John, and I hope it is yours as well, is that the Spirit of God would, would use it in a, in a tremendous way in the life of our church. That there would be those here, that there would be those who are, who are listening and, and taking part in, in worship online that would, that would come to faith. That John's purpose would be realized in our midst. That so there would be people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then we pray that God would use it to produce lasting change in our lives, that we would continue to believe, that we would continue to trust and rely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gospel of John. Lord, we pray that as we start working through it and we just start thinking about it now, and I I pray that that you would help us to to be excited about about studying the the life of Christ from John's perspective. Lord, I I pray that your spirit would would work in us in in an amazing way. Lord, that we would there would be people here that because of these words place their faith and, and trust in you who come to, to faith who, who see that firsthand the 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 transformation from, from darkness to light from death to life that those phrases that that John uses here, those contrasts, that we would see that in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would use it in in our lives, that we would recognize that the power of belief, as John talks about belief over and over, Lord, I I pray that that we as, as Christians would see tremendous life change from this book that your spirit be working and active and do more than we could ever ask or think for the praise and the glory of your name forever and ever, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.